0: Welcome to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at the most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Within two years, half of companies will have all their data in public clouds, and 9 out of 10 already use software as a service. The cloud has come a long way in the past few years, But unfortunately, security has not always kept pace. And that's a problem that's only worsened recently as organisations of all sizes have scrambled to put business processes online. The result is a growing cloud security gap. And this is the theme of the latest cloud threat report compiled by Oracle and KPMG. According to the authors, the problem will only grow as more organisations take on digital transformation. How worried should we be? Greg Jensen is Senior Director of Cloud Security at Oracle. He believes that the cloud can be secure, but CISOs need to act now to build the processes and to develop the skills to make that happen. We started by asking Jensen if cloud computing is now as widespread as the headline figures suggest.
1: The numbers just don't lie when when you look at the fact that so many businesses and organizations not only are shifting to the cloud, they're being uh, driven by business requirements to the cloud, especially when we look at 2020, that just the changing dynamics of what's taken place in 2020. Cloud is a a huge enabler in allowing businesses to work in a more remote and distributed fashion. We did a survey, the Oracle and KPMG Cloud Threat Report, um, that we captured the data in the uh, December, January timeframe. Uh, of 2019 going into 2020. And the numbers at that time really were showing this curve that has continued for the last many years, where as high as 90% of businesses are now leveraging SaaS, software as a service. um, We've seen infrastructures uh, as a service. That's continued to climb from 65% last year up to 76% this year. And and I think when, when the data comes out next year to take a look back on 2020, I think we're going to see a huge spike.
0: And you've also found that businesses are using more cloud infrastructure and more cloud applications than perhaps their IT teams actually realize.
1: Yeah, that's a real risk. You know, we sometimes we call that uh, sanctioned IT services versus unsanctioned. Um, some people also call the use of these um, unknown cloud services, they'll call that stealth IT. Um, and that is the one of the big challenges when we look at, um, that question of, hey, how much cloud is in use? Well, we, we, there's, a, there's a degree of what we know, and then there's a degree of what the business doesn't know. And good examples of that is a company just simply doesn't know how widespread the use of Dropbox or Evernote. Uh, applications are are being used today that that's an unknown number to them in many cases um, especially with the proliferation of personal mobile devices where these cloud services are being highly utilized on iPads and more you know I, I do more work probably on a daily basis on my iPad that I own versus my work laptop so, you know, when you start to look at all of these types of services, and there's many smaller cloud services at play here, the numbers really are pretty staggering. The average organization is seeing an excess of a thousand uh, cloud services in use on average. So that that's pretty alarming for most businesses.
0: But yet when you talk to the CIO, they might think that they have maybe a dozen, if they're being quite brutal and honest with themselves. <laughs>
1: You're, you're completely right on that. It's 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 interesting when you ask the question to a, someone who's responsible for identifying that number uh, or a leader, an IT leader. Yeah, they, they definitely underestimate that number. And, and it just goes to show you that there's a visibility gap. They, they just don't have the tools and the, the capabilities to see what's truly being used and where their data is going.
0: And I'd imagine, and you're a better place to know the numbers than I am, but I'd imagine that's become more of an issue in the last Year or so, because a lot of the services and devices that individuals are having to turn to to continue to work um, are essentially consumer devices or mobile devices. And many, if not most of them, have some element of cloud connectivity built in. So Google does that with its applications and therefore with Android. Apple does it with its iCloud service. And then you have laptops shipping with Dropbox already installed and consumers will turn these things on really without thinking too much about them so is that part of why we're seeing that, that much larger number of cloud applications than perhaps uh CIOs and CISOs realize
1: i think so and and when you look at at the things that have really impacted us in 2020 it was a we had a light switch moment where one day we were all at the office and the next day we were we were at home and and when that happens if you are a business that is Um, leading edge, cloud-centered, you've got a cloud-focused strategy, you were were doing pretty good. But if you are like many businesses that still had a pretty significant investment in on-premise technology, you have your own data center, and there's an expectation and reliance that you have to be in the office physically to access this data, suddenly, how does that data get out? You know, you've re- requisition of new cloud services takes a while to pay for, implement, test, evaluate. But that's where I think we'll look back and we are going to see that there was an area of risk that we, we all, uh, that many businesses put their uh, our data in. Uh, we were very much in a ri- high risk posture when employees started to use freely accessible cloud services or maybe low-cost alternatives to try to work from home in a, in a more flexible way, um, as opposed to that expectation of going into the office. But you know, I, I, by this point in time, a lot of businesses have caught up. They, they've been able to provide the tools that are needed for their employees to continue this, this remote work model. But yes, cloud's been very central to all that, and I think we will see there's been a high degree of unknown cloud usage as well,
0: and that is likely to continue. And now you've recently released with KPMG the Cloud Threat Report for 2020. There are some quite bold statements in that report, and you know I have it in front of me here in the studio. Um, obviously, cloud adoption continues to expand, which we've which we've just discussed. But you're also saying that clouds. Cybersecurity teams do not fully understand cloud and the basics of cloud security, and that cybersecurity teams are playing catch up. So, so those are quite bold statements to make. What in the data is pointing you, and when talking to CISOs, is pointing you to say those things?
1: Yeah, this data actually, really, we started capturing in 2018. Um, our inaugural issue of the Cloud Threat Report. We were seeing um, back then what we called a pace gap. Uh, being developed, and a pace gap is essentially when you look at the the speed and nimbleness of a line of business. They're they're focused on revenue, 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 right? Business goal, business goal, business goal. And what they tend to do in many cases is let's get this out. We'll work with the security team and the security leadership. You know, later in the process, sometimes after the app's even deployed. But we don't want holdups up front. We don't want this this new project to, to get caught up in um, this eternal evaluation mode by a security team. So they push forward quite often without security. But So the pace gap essentially is this gap in deployment cycles between when a business application is pushed out and the security team's ability to sign off saying, okay, now we've gotten all the uh, areas of risk addressed we, it's now compliant. We have fixed some configuration issues that weren't there. That gap can sometimes be months. And so that's a real area of risk. So we call that the pace gap. And coming into 2020, it's it's just getting worse. Um, and a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, when you have organizations that j- simply aren't communicating effectively with security leadership. Quite often, it's because security leadership has had that reputation of saying no in many cases, and uh so you know we're we're seeing that 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 only increasing as years go by.
0: in some ways that's looking at the problem the wrong way around, though, isn't it? And yes, that reputation is persistent, even if not always accurate these days. But is the issue then that security is not being involved early enough in the move towards the cloud?
1: That is often the case, you know if you think about it today. It, it can take a matter of minutes for any of us with a credit card to onboard a very strong uh, security solution. I'm sorry, a very strong cloud solution. Um, I, I can right now spool up an Oracle cloud service with, with, uh, v- with a lot of simplicity. I can do the same with Google, with Amazon. In, in many cases, all I need is a credit card. Now, does that mean I can spool that up? without the awareness of an IT team or security team. Yeah, sometimes. And that's why we have a lot of these unknown or unsanctioned cloud services at play sometimes. The the challenge is security doesn't spool up that quick. There's a lot of evaluation, you know, evaluating for risk, evaluating on on all our mitigation strategies, evaluating if we're compliant, you know, with regulatory compliance issues. That's huge in in, in Europe, right? Um, so suddenly, we've got this issue of one side, I can spool quickly, the other side, there's a very long delay sometimes. So it's funny, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, we might be looking at it the wrong way. Absolutely, I agree with that. Because the sooner you get that security team involved, the the likelihood of us having a risky environment later is reduced. Because if security does get, get involved, if they see that someone is going to deploy a service that isn't allowing us to meet regulatory guidelines and expectations, that service will never see the light of day. And if it does, it will be shut down because there's huge legal liabilities at play here. So it's in the best interest of every line of business to find a constructive relationship with your CISO and work with them on a very consistent, regular basis and invite them in early on.
0: What is the impact on business risk of organizations deploying the cloud without building security into the process?
1: Well, when we see that the, the CISIL or the security team is engaged, that, that quite often leads to this breakdown in what we call shared responsibility. That what shared responsibility is, essentially, is I, I'm going to acquire a cloud service. Part of that that cloud service provider's relationship with me is they're going to do things for me that that normally I used to do when that application was in my own data center. So the question now is, who's responsible for patching? Who's responsible for for penetration testing that service? Who's responsible for monitoring service level agreements uh, and monitoring at behaviors and 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 activities, looking at these actual transactions to identify fraud and various threats. And, and this is where a lot of organizations just struggle here. The average security leader, only 8% of them really understand what their team's role is in securing uh, the cloud versus uh, on-prem. And, and so this is a real big problem that I think businesses are struggling with. They have to get caught up to understand their role in shared responsibility, but it, it doesn't stop there. We we see that other other things that really fall out when when you don't have a good understanding of things like shared responsibility is we see an increase in misconfigurations. We see things like um, uh, or uh, individuals that are more susceptible to being exploited directly, such as spear phishing attacks. Fifty nine percent of businesses have said that they've had. Uh, individuals that have uh, privileged uh, accounts in the cloud that they've been targeted and compromised. So that's really where some businesses have to start looking holistically is how do we improve this posture with security leadership? How does that translate to a greater understanding in, in each team's role in securing their cloud environment? And how does that help us in the long run to mitigate things like misconfigurations and points of, of exposure?
0: So is it more about IT teams not knowing what's in the cloud or not knowing how to secure them? Or is it the business making a conscious decision to press on with a cloud deployment for legitimate business reasons, such as agility, but overlooking or neglecting to take the necessary security steps?
1: I think it's both. When we, we talked earlier about how there's this bucket of sanctioned applications, and there's unsanctioned. In the area of sanctioned, you know, true business critical and mission critical applications, those are usually always sanctioned services. And in those situations, there's quite often a choice made. Sometimes it's a line of business owner. Sometimes it's an IT leader who has said, "You know what? Th- there's just too much at stake here. We have to get the service live. We, it has to support a launch." a big press event. We, we've got to push through and we'll deal with the security issues later. Um, so, so those things do happen.
0: Are we seeing malicious actors exploiting the gap? Because you've identified this gap between the pace at which the business is moving, the pace at which the journey to the cloud is taking place and the pace at which security can keep up. Is that something that is creating a specific window of opportunity for malicious actors to come in and to steal data, disrupt systems?
1: Oh, yeah. If you look at the fact, you know, it seems like every day we're hearing about some major cloud provider with a breach. You know, we, we have to peel the, that onion back a little and look at those, those uh, big news stories. Is it truly that particular vendor who failed? quite often it's not. It's usually because a business adopted a technology and pushed it out live without really effectively analyzing the proper configurations they needed to employ, um, the monitoring uh, programs that that were available in that business. Because we see too many of these cases where a major cloud provider is delivering a service that a customer or a user has configured public instead of private something as basic as that and and this is why you're now seeing a lot of technologies oracles when we do this approach it, that that leverages zero trust model where when you leverage these cloud services they're locked down by default but you you actually have to earn the right to open this up if if you want access to this data it has to be specifically granted to you it's not just open and we have to close it down it's locked down from the start so that's a different model that you're starting to see here in like more in more modern times, like today. Um, but I, I think the the real problem that we see though is misconfigurations really are leading um, a lot of these big data breaches and areas of risk. And that's why most of these um, cloud threat reports in 2020, we have five of them actually on various topics. They all are centered around this one theme, and that is. We 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 are we are seeing businesses that are running rampant with misconfigurations and and failed monitoring programs, and that's putting a lot of data at risk. It's creating uh, risk in your business applications, risk for data that you are, are storing in an infrastructure environment, uh, and more. And that's making all this very um, uh, nervous. I think. And and if you if you work in a regulated industry or re- regulated uh, region you' you're becoming very legally liable for for these mistakes
0: so it's actually simple oversights and misconfiguration mistakes rather than complicated and sophisticated cyber attacks
1: very much so and, and in all fairness um it, it, it i i don't want to i don't want to say it's always intentional in that it is intentional it's sometimes it's really it goes back to that comment we said earlier who's responsible for it? If I acquire that service, there's a lot of businesses that just assume when they acquire a service that it's the provider that's going to manage the security of it. And it's, that's, that's not that's not true at all facets of, uh, uh, of a cloud service. There's still a reliability, even with something like SaaS, which is very simplistic in nature at a top level in terms of responsibility but there's still responsibility for the customer, for the subscriber. They still have to manage and determine who's going to have access. The cloud providers can do a good job at monitoring and, and things of that nature and, and addressing things such as patch management if necessary, but the the subscriber still has responsibility to play here, and that's often missed.
0: It's easy to understand how that's come about, though, because the cloud providers have argued and sometimes that argument is quite compelling that because they're experts and specialists and they can invest in the control measures and the infrastructure they can do security at a higher level and better than many of their customers and it, particularly the case for small and mid sized enterprise but not Just them, so that we know our application, we know the vulnerabilities, we can secure it. And of course, if we get hacked, we have no business, so it's in our interests to be good at security. But that doesn't solve the problem that you're identifying, does it, with the misconfiguration, leaving things public that should be private? So how do we narrow that gap between the claims of the cloud providers who say, look, we're actually pretty secure, we may be more secure than your on-premises infrastructure – and what we're seeing in the reality of the breaches that we're witnessing.
1: This is exactly where um, the role of a CISO comes into play. Uh, You know, IT leaders and, and your chief information security officers, they are responsible and they're charged with helping to ensure that the lines of business understand if you deploy a service, here's your level of responsibility as a team, versus a cloud service provider. But if there isn't effective communication or engagement with these leaders, um, that's where we're going to see some challenges. Uh, We've seen scenarios where a business may have, um, a a, a leading cloud provider will say, uh, having that vendor approved in one department, And another department that assumes, well, if if they can use it, we can use it. The difference is one's been highly tuned, optimized, and configured by the security organization for that team. The other is effectively an out-of-box configuration. And and this is where we see those challenges that that businesses have to take a, a, a little better stance on. And that comes with education, comes with the relationships of working with your leadership to ensure that they're they're just as much invested in your project and your application deployment as they are.
0: And that comes out from the research as well. There's one statistic in the paper is that 73% of organizations you've spoken to either have or plan to hire a CISO with more cloud security skills. And indeed, one of your supplementary papers you're putting out later this year is going to cover specifically that cloud-focused CISO role. So... I guess i could address this head on. Do those people exist?
1: They do. Yeah. And I I think what you've seen more and more over the years is you've seen more of a business-focused CISO, and it's understandable. I mean, this is 2020, and we've been living with technology for a lot of years now. But a lot of that leadership, it's only in, in the last decade or two that we saw the rise and the elevation of a CISO. So if you look at you know, historical growth of individuals. Many of them came out of different areas of IT, and they shifted over into into a security role. So, really, they were leveraging a business background, um, an, an acumen in in managing people, managing staffs, and projects. But what what they didn't come in with was a, a very intimate knowledge and technical knowledge on security. Well, now, fast forward, we've got we've had many more years go by. We call that an you know an IT generation in hiring terms, and we're now seeing a very different type of individual coming into play as far, as far as a CISO. You're seeing individuals that are coming out of the Big Four, former consultants, former professional services individuals from years gone by who have elevated through the ranks within a business to become a leader, and it's that type of individual that a lot of businesses are now looking to. They want the business acumen, but they more importantly. They, they need to make sure that as part of a leader of a security organization, that they know, truly know security.
0: If we think of the security team as a whole, rather than just the leader, though, is there a bigger or a wider cloud skills gap when it comes to security?
1: It's not just a, a, a skills gap. Uh, that one is very well documented that we have a shortage in, in security staffing across uh, every market. Uh, and, and will be for the significant future. I think the numbers still show that we are nearly uh, 0% unemployment in the areas of data security. But the the, the bigger challenge that I think that, we, that we're going to run into or that we're starting to see is how can a CISO multiply themselves? How can they become a little more engaging with that line of business? And we're now seeing the elevation of new roles called a BSO business information security officer. And the goals are different. A CISO is charged with enabling a business through security and a BISO is charged with enabling enabling business processes and working collaboratively with the security organization. They're They're really a good mediator between the line of business and the security team. And so we're starting to see businesses incorporate this type of uh, position more and more and these generally are multiple BSOs at the same large enterprise um, you won't see a BSO today in, in a smaller medium-sized business but larger enterprises you will start to see these besos more and more on that basis
0: what about embedding more security expertise within the business lines themselves because often they're the ones doing the cloud purchasing not the central it
1: yeah and and I think that's the, the general feeling that, hey, let's just make sure we're hiring good people down, down, that, down at the bottom as far as the, our consultants, those that are managing the solutions. Make sure they're skilled and staffed and then the problems go away. And the reality is this, you can, put, you can quadruple your staffing, like quality staffing. You could quadruple your budgets and it's not going to make a bit of difference unless there's a change at the top. And I'm not talking about a change in leadership, I'm talking about a cultural change that has to be driven from the top-down, a security-first model, where every activity that an IT team engages within, anything, they need to ask within that uh, upfront Q&A, what does this mean from a security, privacy, and risk perspective? How does this impact our compliance positions? So everything has to have that kind of a lens now, uh, and so I, I'm not shy to say that every person in the business, whether you are administrative assistant or you are the the, the president and CEO, everybody plays a role in securing co- corporate and customer information.
0: And that point about data protection and privacy is really key now as well the big risk as i see it is actually that the data are in the wrong place and it's the data themselves that are vulnerable
1: a lot of businesses businesses i think struggle with classification of data you need to place different processes around how you secure and maintain privacy for each of these different data classifications personal corporate uh or customer financials need to be respected completely different than our statistics on social media successes. Like, th- those are just very different classifications. And if we try to group them all the same way, it does make life a little difficult for security organizations um, and lines of business to understand, well, well where should we really be placing our, our, our security sensors? Where should we be placing priorities if we see something risky taking place? I think it's important to be a catalyst of change inside your business. We need to play it smart. We need to make sure our teams are educated we need to ensure that we are always asking the question, when do we need to and have we engaged the security organization for inputs? That needs to happen. The other thing is education and training, and that starts with understanding the shared responsibility model. Everybody that touches that, that cloud stack needs to have an understanding on what is their role as a cloud provider and what's our role in making sure that that data is maintained securely and privately. Um, I I also think that when we look at things like um, the technologies that exist out there, there are some technologies that can have monumental impacts. And one is automation. Uh, Sometimes it's a scary topic for others, but we see that in the next three years, 88% of organizations plan to use intelligent automation to manage their their misconfigurations and patches. That's really the, the root challenge of a DevSecOps program? How do we manage a report, the identification, reporting, and manage or, or mitigation of these misconfigurations and patches that need to be addressed? And automation can really get you there in, a, in leaps and bounds and take the the the, uh, the pressure off of an IT team that's probably understaffed to begin with. Um, and I guess the last thing, uh, you know, if I'm looking at, at this from four key areas, is really get a handle on business risk. I, I, I'm i always startled when I talk to security leaders and I talk to them about, you know, the, the, the threats and, and risks. And quite often that's, that's looked upon through the lens of a virus attack, a hacker coming in the front door. And what often gets ignored, well, or, or, or not maybe elevated as high is, we have, we have some real risks in the area of these mission-critical or business-critical applications. We're putting all our finances in the cloud now. We're putting all of our HR processes in the cloud. We're putting all of our supply chain in the cloud. So what's our area of risk? Well, our area of risk is quite often the human element because we make mistakes. So that's having better processes to identify these mistakes and correct them. But second, let's make sure that the human element here isn't exposing information through forms like business email compromises, through the form of targeted spear phishing attacks. Uh, These are real areas that uh, are impacting businesses today and and exposing very sensitive data.
0: Greg Jensen from Oracle on the need for continued vigilance as businesses rely more and more on the cloud. Listeners can download the cloud threat report at oracle.com forward slash C-T-R. That, though, is all for this week's episode. We'll be taking a short break, but we'll be back on Tuesday, January the 6th. In the meantime, you can catch up on past episodes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk. And of course, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or Spotify. Thank you for listening.